you know most of the Psalms written by David uh, a lot of times in, in perilous times where he is simply pleading with the Lord for rescue, for help. This, where we're at here in Psalms 25, is, is another one of those situations. So just kind of give you a little bit of background to that. Before we get into this, those of you that do know, I teach over at the university, so this is kind of just a teaching lesson, and I also am a, uh, one of the assistant coaches over there at the school. I've come to realize just in the two years that I've done it that a lot of time the instruction spiritual-wise that you have the opportunity to give to other people is simply nothing more than you sharing things that you've learned in your life, in your personal devotions, or things that God has taught you, and more so it is you taking informal times, opportunities where you're just interacting with other people and simply telling them what God has done for you rather than getting up even in a teaching format, which is kind of ironic seeing that I do teach over at the university. But the spiritual side of it is just those informal times. So this is kind of a little bit of an informal time. Um, just kind of go through this. This psalm, I, I don't, I have no intention of probably getting everything that's in this psalm, but I would encourage you to maybe go back and look, take some notes maybe on some of the things that you see up on the screen. I'll have, try to have the main points. But maybe go back later on and study this on your own sometime between now and on Sunday and kind of learn more about the psalmist's heart, David, uh, how he feels towards God, how God feels towards him, or how God views him, or how God treats him, just so that it becomes maybe a little bit more personal to you rather than just another Wednesday night Bible study. Um, let's go ahead and read through this psalm. I want to take the time to actually read all the verses here. Psalms 25, verse 1. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on, the, on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving, loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he will teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Mine eyes are ever towards the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn unto me, and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. O oh, bring them out of my distresses. Look upon me, mine affliction and my pain, and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. O oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. Redeem Israel, O oh God, out of all his troubles. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. We do thank you for the things that you teach us from your word. Thank you for the recordings that David has of uh, him just sharing his heart with you. And I ask that you would help it to be our heart to, to help us to learn something more about you through all of this. And may you be glorified through all of it. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to look at the first several verses, and a lot of this is us just going to go back. We're just going to go back and look at actual verses. It won't be probably a lot of me expounding on anything, but just kind of bringing things to light so that, again, you can go back and look at it on your own time, and maybe it can become a little bit more personal to you. 
I want to look at the first two verses. I want you to note that this first part here that he says in, in first, verse number one, you see David, he says, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. It's kind of a personal, personal request that he's asking here for. And I, I doubt that many of you are being chased by enemies to the extent that he is. But then if you look there on verse number three, it says, yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Here David kind of opens the psalm up so that it can also be something that we can use. And that's what I like about this psalm is that it's not specific to David. It's something that we can hold on to and things that we can learn. And I'll I'll bring some more to that to light in a second. But I do want you to note a phrase that's mentioned actually three times in this chapter and its specific word where it talks about, it says in verse number two, let me not be put to shame. If you look down in verse number three, he says again, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. And then in verse number 20, let me not be ashamed. That actually means there to be publicly shown to have relied on a false basis for hope. You have that aspect there of where our hope is found and our hope being on somebody who is reliable and someone who, when all things are all said and done, who proves to be true to his word and who proves to be faithful. And when we get down to the application part of this, I'll, I'll try to bring this back to your remembrance, but just remember that for now. David asking that, it would be something to where it's shown that when it's all said and done, he relied on something that was very reliable and something that he could base his, base his hope on. You see there in verses number four and five, a prayer for guidance. I like this because this isn't just David asking for relief. What you see here is that he wants more. David wants more. He wants to know about God. He wants to know how to live. He wants to know how to respond in a manner that pleases God. He wants to know how to respond when he faces different types of circumstances, whether that has to do with specific enemies or has to do with uncertainties. But he wants to know what the heartbeat of God is, and he wants to follow that path. Uh, a very familiar verse, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And I can just see David, he's, he's pleading with God here that you would please show me what you want me to do next, where you want me to go next. Another phrase that I want to point out and something that um, has been very personal to me over the last several years and kind of has changed the way that I've looked at Scripture and read Scripture is this aspect of knowing God. Look in the middle of the verse, of verse number five. It says, For thou art the God of my salvation. And I will from time to time when I'm making notes either in my personal devotions, just my little journal or, or making something like this, I'll write, Know God. And then I'll put the semicolon and I'll write something very similar. I'll just write the phrase there. Thou art the God of my salvation. I think it's important here that, God, that, that David includes this very early in the, in the passage. He knows something already specifically about God. He knows that he is able to deliver him. But I want you to note what's there at the very end of the verse, and I think this is key for us, especially when we're going through difficult times. It says, on thee do I wait all the day. And I think back to a phrase, an author that I read often. He says, it's not what you are or what you get at the end of the wait. It's what you become while you're waiting. And it's that idea of you not just sitting there waiting on God, waiting for whatever to happen or for whatever to pass over or for whatever trial to end. It's what you're becoming as you're waiting for God. And that takes work a lot of times. It takes you looking into the scripture. It takes you finding out what God wants, but it's not just you sitting there. And I can just see David, he's not just sitting in a cave somewhere. He's going to continue to do what he thinks God wants him to do. Uh, The third appeal to God, an appeal to the character of God. And I want to spend a little bit of time on this. 
I think it's real interesting to note, and I, I can't remember if somebody here has made this comment before, it's interesting that David doesn't appeal to God on any merits that he has. You could easily, I mean, with David, would you fault him if he was to say to God, God, I'm the king, why is this happening to me? Or you're the one that put me in this position as far as the leadership goes. I tried to look a little bit, but I don't know what the reason for writing this psalm is. I'm not sure if he's being, being uh, chased after at the moment or um, his, his throne is being threatened or whatever. But you can almost empathize with David maybe. And maybe you've had this response before where you're going through a difficult situation. And we almost ask sometimes, or maybe we do ask sometimes, I've done this before, why me, God? Or why are you doing this to me? Or, I've been so faithful to you, why am I having to go through this? Or maybe we don't, we're not that bold, but we, we have this idea of, I'm trying to do what God wants me to do, why am I going through this? So you almost maybe question God to that extent, but David doesn't appeal to anything. I'm, he's not saying, I'm the king, why am I going through this? Or, I've been faithful, why am I going through this? Instead, he appeals to the character of God. And I think that's really important here that we learn several things about God and see several things about God. And I want you to see these things because I think these are the kinds of things that revolutionize our thinking. When we learn something new about God, that's what changes our thinking. It's not just simply reading a be kind to one another and tenderhearted. All right, I'm going to go out and do my best to be kind to one another and tenderhearted. But when I understand how God has been kind to me and loving to me, that's what transforms my thinking in the way that I live, and then I respond kindly to others. And so us seeing some several things here, I think, will, will kind of change, hopefully, maybe our thinking. But first, note there that he is merciful. And those of you that have been here for any amount of time, you know this mercy is translated in loving kindness or that steadfast love. He appeals to God's steadfast love to rescue him for a reason for rescuing him. He is loving. That's what we just said, that steadfast love. He is good. Look there in verse 8. Verse 8 says, good and upright is the Lord. He is good. We hear the phrase over and over again. He is good and he does good. David reminds himself of that during this time. And I think I want to go ahead and mention that at this point too. It's important for you when you're going through trials to remind yourself about the character of God. The old, I, I don't remember who this is, but too often it said, too often we, we listen to ourselves instead of preach to ourselves. And that preaching to yourself the things that you know about God, that he is good, that he is merciful, that he is loving, that he teaches sinners. The next thing there, verse number eight, it says, therefore he will teach sinners in the way. It's important to remember that the circumstances that you're going through or that you will go through or that you have gone through, those circumstances or those trials or those testing times are not intended to crush you. They are intended to teach you something about yourself and to teach you something about God. And often it's to teach you maybe that you have sin in your heart or that you're simply not trusting God the way that you should. And it's to teach you something, in this case here, that God is good um, and that he does good. He will guide, verse number 9, the meek will he guide in judgment, and then the meek will he teach, and that meek has to do with you being teachable, that humility, that dependency on God. Are you depending on God? Are you teachable in those moments of difficulty, in those moments of trial? The last thing that he appeals to, but more so of it's just a realization of personal responsibility and this idea of you being, you having that responsibility during those trials. Again, not just sitting there waiting for God to do something, but that personal responsibility of what you have to do while you're waiting there. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. 
That's on you to be obedient during those trials. That's on you to respond appropriately when difficulties come. And then verse number 11, For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. Again, being self-aware of any potential sin that you might have in your heart, confessing that to the Lord so that then he can teach you something about yourself, maybe teach you something about him, maybe even bring you through the trial. The next several verses here, let's look on the confidence in the Lord's friendship. Look there first to verse number 12. Verse number 12 says, What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. The per- what I have here is the personal teaching is promised to those who fear the Lord. I think, I don't know that you, much needs to be said more about this, but just maybe encouraging that, that God will teach you. He's teaching you something through that difficulty. It's promised. And these, these four things that I have are, are promises. And so it, it should provide some hope. It should provide some encouragement uh, in potential difficulties. There's peace that's promised for those that fear the Lord. Look in verse number 13. His soul shall dwell at ease and his seed shall inherit the earth. That idea where it says, shall dwell at ease, something that was mentioned even this morning in the Bible conference services, those moments where you just feel unrest, where there just doesn't seem like there's any peace. And again, remembering who God is and what he's promised, what he's left with us, that being the Holy Spirit, what he promised with the Holy Spirit, peace I give unto you in John uh, 14, I believe it is, but that the things that are offered, the grace and the mercy that's offered, um, even in those difficult times, the peace that's promised. And then the friendship, look in verse number 14, where it says, The secret is of the Lord, or the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. That secret actually can be translated in other, other, transla- or other versions of translations. It says friendship, that friendship with the Lord. Again, that idea of that closeness with him, that personal friendship, that personal relationship that we need to have, that we must have, especially in times of difficulty. Of course, also in the good times, but the friendship, the closeness that comes with God and all that he provides in that. And then the last thing there is the confidence and deliverance because of steadfast because of a steadfast, trusting gaze upon God. And in verse number 15, look at the end there. My eyes are ever towards the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. That total reliance and that dependence on God, because going back to, again, what we talked about, the God of my salvation, and that idea that David knows that God will deliver him, but it's his responsibility in the meantime to trust God that his way is best. Just finishing the, the chapter up here, Verses number 16 through 21, I just want to point your attention to some specific words. You can see just the urgency in some of these words as David prays to the Lord, asking for deliverance and begging for deliverance. You see the word desolate, afflicted, distresses, afflictions, and then he asks God, please consider me, please deliver me. And there's nothing wrong with praying for that. It's multiple times in the Psalms you see the psalmist going through difficulties and just crying out to God for help. But again, let me remind you, it's not just God take this difficulty away. Remember that as he went through the psalm, as we went through the psalm, there's two other things that I think are really key as we pray. The first one there is making sure that we don't have any sin in our heart, and I've already mentioned that. And then the other one that has to do with it is that idea of just simply trusting God and relying on him, um, recognizing his character, and just trusting that he will do what is best. This is where I kind of want to spend the time. I know I just kind of went over briefly that those last few points, but I would suggest to you that you go back and look at that and kind of examine that prayer that he gives to the Lord. But here are some application. And this is one of those where I, I did this more 
usually try to do this more so for me or the possibility of me talking with somebody or thinking through things. And these are just questions that I ask myself. And this may be something that you want to ask yourself. I kind of changed it around to make it a little bit more personal to you. But the first thing there that I, that I ask is, do you, and again, this is with the whole psalm, uh, kind of thinking through the psalm and thinking about some of the things that we've talked about and things that you've learned before. But do you talk with God? And kind of fitting here on a Wednesday night where we have prayer meeting. And I know when people, when pastors or teachers get up and mention this, I'm going to squelch prayer time because when dad asks for a request, nobody's going to want to raise their hand. But what we often do, of course, on Wednesday night we come, there's absolutely nothing wrong with asking for that nephew or niece or whatever that's struggling with whatever illness. But then more so on us focus, focusing on the temporal things rather than on us focusing on that person's going through something difficult. God, please teach them something about yourself and something about the individual so that they can become more like Christ. I think even of the where I say, do you talk with God? If so, how are your prayers? If I'm not mistaken, this whole psalm here is simply, I'm guessing, it's simply a quiet time that David has with God. I don't know that for sure, but I'm guessing that nobody else is around. I'm guessing it's just him just talking with God. And if you look through it, it's not him just asking for stuff the entire time. Now, he does spend time asking for deliverance and asking for wisdom and guidance and that kind of stuff, but he's just talking to God. Are your prayers like that through the day? Or is it something, and this is where I've been challenged, is it I'm just going to have my personal devotions in the morning and I expect that to last me through the entire day? And I was talking with Dad this, af- this afternoon about this. How stupid is it for us to eat a giant meal in the morning, and then when somebody asks you, are you going to lunch, you want to go to lunch? No, 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 I ate this morning. Are you going to go to supper? No, 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 I ate, I ate this morning, I'm, I'll be fine. No, you, you go through the day, you eat your meals, right, so that you can say sustained, nourished, on, okay, for the whole day. Same thing with your prayer life. Is your communing just with God in the morning? And then you're done for the entire day? Or is it that continual talking periodically through the day with God? And that's harder to do than it is to say. Are you appealing when you come to God? Are you appealing on your own merit? Or are you coming to him on his merit? Because of his goodness. Because of his loving kindness. Next thing there. Is your heart pure? And this is something where that's very personal. But are you or have, you been, have your responses been pure during your time of testing? As you're going through these difficulties or if you go through these potential difficulties, make sure your heart is right through all of these things um, so that you have the right responses. Where are your eyes? And kind of a weird question to ask, but are they on the one who never changes, the one who has promised to never leave me or forsake you, the one who has promised you have everything that you need? And again, if you don't know this stuff about God already, you're going to have a difficult time when it comes time for testing. Because it's often easy for us, at least for me, that when difficulty come, I immediately think, I don't have what I need in this situation. And at that time, I'm lying to myself. Because according to the scripture, God has given me everything that I need for that moment. But if I don't remember that, if I don't don't have that gaze upon God, if I'm looking at the circumstances around me, I'm going to be in trouble. My gaze has got to be upon God, upon the one that I know never changes, upon the one that I know will always meet my needs, upon the one that I know will give me grace for whatever difficulty I'm going through. My eyes have got to be on him and not on my circumstances or on the things that are going around, that, around me that I cannot control. And then the last, well, one of the last things here, do you really believe God will deliver? 
Do you really believe he will do what is best? And again, this is one of those where we're all sitting in church. God has your best interest at heart. And everybody sits there and nods their head. And in the louder churches or in the one church where you have the one guy, he's real, he gives a real strong amen on this one. But when it comes time for testing or when you're in the middle of testing, do you actually believe this? That God really, really does have your best interest at heart. Do you believe his ways are best? Or do you really just want your own way? And sometimes we think maybe, yeah, I, this is a good way. I, why isn't God giving me this? Or we think that this is what God wants because it would be something that would be pleasing to us or something that we would like. But is it really what God wants? Um, so do you really want what God wants? Do you really believe that his way is best? Or do you really just want your own way? Last few things here. Are you becoming more like Christ as you wait for his deliverance? And this goes back to what we were talking about, where you're not just sitting there with your arms crossed or just waiting out whatever is you're struggling with. Are you actively seeking God's help? Are you fulfilling your responsibilities while you're waiting for deliverance? Are you becoming more like Christ through those difficult circumstances? And then the last thing here is where is your hope? Do I, do you trust that God is good and has my or has your best interest at heart? We can always say, yes, God is working for his glory and for my good. But when it comes time for difficulty or when you're in the middle of difficulty, do you really believe this? What are you looking to for your hope? Are you going back to those things that you know about God? Or are you just trying to wait out the situation or just asking for God to deliver you? And that confident expectation that we can have, just reading something right before I came here tonight, you have been given everything that you needed. Your most fundamental need, of course, was salvation. And on the cross, everything was taken care of that you really need. And if God is going to meet those needs, is he's going to meet that need, he's going to meet the needs that you have here on a somewhat temporal or a day-to-day basis. But where is your hope? Where is your trust? Where is your confidence? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word again. We do thank you for the hope that you provide. We do thank you for being faithful to us, even when we are not faithful. We do thank you for the good times too, Lord. And I know probably a lot in this room are going through good times right now, but the potential to face uncertainty or the potential to face difficulty in the near future or in the far future, Lord, when that moment comes, when those testing comes, Lord, help us to remember who you are. Help us to remember that you are good and that you do good that you love us and that you have our best interests at heart and help us, Lord, to be willing to follow your pathway and to be faithful in each step. Help us not to be discontent. Help us not to be unfaithful. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to you. In your name we pray. Amen.